0: The title of today's talk is The Answer is Equanimity. The title was inspired by a bumper sticker that some of us have stuck in our cars which reads War is not the answer. Indeed, What I mean to say is that the answer is not war, but equanimity. When I use the word war in the context of this talk, I'm not referring only or particularly to major armed conflicts, but to the whole range of physical and mental conflicts that plague our lives including the one-to-one confrontations that pop up in the course of everyday life, in our family, with our friends, whatever. Whenever such conflicts arise, we feel compelled to take sides. And when we do do so, the central issue often becomes us versus them or me versus you and we get trapped in a person-to-person war. On the other hand, when I use the term equanimity, I'm referring to our capacity to wean ourselves from the habit of seeking confrontations and to allow instead love and compassion Take center stage louder. Yeah, sorry. The term equanimity derives from two Latin roots: equus, meaning equal, and animus, meaning mind and heart. What does this anemic equality involve? It involves letting ourselves be touched by the suffering experienced by both sides in whatever conflict comes our way. We don't take side but neither are we indifferent to the pain generated in that Conflict. We do indeed care. In fact, in the Buddhist scriptures, indifference is categorized as the near enemy of equanimity. <coughs> something that looks similar, but is just the opposite. Here, a footnote may be in order. There are times when we are simply not ready to let ourselves be touched by the conflicts we witness without getting entangled into them. In such cases it's understandable, it may be wise, that we choose to distance ourselves from then from them for the time being. But distancing ourselves and ignoring the reality that come our way can never be a definitive recipe for how to live our lives. <coughs> In sum, the true response to the ups and downs of life is equanimity, which involves telling, letting our side Letting all sides of each situation that comes our way touch us deeply. As we avoid playing one one side against the other, we avoid adding fuel to the fire that those conflicts generate. To be equanimous entails taking a deep interest in whatever is going on whether we are directly involved or just witnessing it. Just as taking sides can contribute to inflame inflame a situation, our equanimity, equanimity can infuse a sense of peaceful possibilities into it, not just in our eyes, but in the eyes of all parties involved. It is like throwing water to a fire. Okay. There's a lot of generalities here. Let me get more concrete and look at some examples, real examples. I grew up in Argentina under a military dictatorship. I joined the underground while I was in high school, and ended up spending a few weeks in jail. Actually, not, not, just, not just a simple jail, there was a place where people were being tortured. Somehow I was there by mistake because whatever, but I could see people hear people screaming, the, they turned on the radio very loud to cover up the screams, but I could even hear them anyway. At the time, the only alternatives I could conceive of were either joining the underground movement, which I did, or complete indifference. Hence, it's not surprising surprising that when I came to the US to study at the University of Michigan, I was 19 at the time, I got totally turned on by a song by Pete Seeger. You know, Pete Seeger lives in this area. He died recently. And he sang at the university auditorium where I was a student and the song he sang was entitled Which Side Are You On? I'll give you the lyrics sorry I can't sing I can't keep it tune. <laughs> but anyway these are the lyrics Which side are you on? 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 My daddy was a miner, and I'm a miner's son. And I'll stick with the Union till every battle's won. They say in Harlem County there are no neutrals there. You either be a Union man or a thug for J.H. Blair. Whether he is. Today, some 70 years later, I'm still resonating with this song and with its call to restore the balance of power in our society. But I've grown a little wiser and I'm not standing by its divisiveness. Furthermore, now I clearly see what instigated me to be so vehement about embracing that cause. I had just landed in this country, it was after being here for a few months, and felt quite irrelevant in the context of the country, of the US. But then finding a cause to embrace made me feel relevant. Next, let me share another similar story, which also hinges around the demands of my ego. Yeah, it's there. When I was a young child, I felt pretty alienated from the other kids. Our family lived in a large, expensive-looking house, not that they were rich, but relatively speaking, yes, Because we lived in an impoverished neighborhood of Buenos Aires, in this house. That's an Argentina, of course. I didn't feel I belonged there. Furthermore, every year my parents enrolled me in a different high school, in a different neighborhood for various reasons. In fact, In fact, one year I was ser- sent to a German school, school for German-speaking kids, so that I learned German. The experience was most distressing. Everyone around spoke, most of the time, a language I didn't understand. The kids simply ignored me. With one exception. A kid who became a friend of mine. I still remember his name. Luis Froman. He became my bridge to the world. To reinforce this connection one day, I asked him, what football or this soccer team he belonged to? He, he was a fan of. And he said, San Lorenzo. And so, ever since, I've been a faithful fan of San Lorenzo. Cheering for it, I felt I counted. Um, Can I ask you a favor? Can you reach that box? Because I stupidly left it. There's a box down there. Right. Right. To support my infatuation with San Lorenzo, somebody went to Argentina and brought me a cup, a mug. This mug. It's three, cents. It in Spanish. Si, si, señores. Yo soy de San Lorenzo. Which means, yes, yes, gentlemen, I am... Um, I am of San Lorenzo. This habitual taking of sides is not limited to confrontations between groups in politics, sport, or whatever. It also applies to individual confrontations, in the course of which each of us takes its own side. I'm with me, you are with you. It may may seem seem the obvious thing to do, except that in the process we end up creating two incompatible sides in day-to-day life. Me and you, or whatever. I'm sure most of you have experienced these confrontations with your parents, sibs, friends, or, or even strangers, no? The issue is then, how can equanimity help us end all this divisiveness? Equanimity can help because it is, to be equanimous, implies taking a break from our habitual and relentless search of a site to take and to let instead solidarity prevail. Fine, you may say, but what do we do when conflicts pop up in front of us? And I I, I would answer, How about recruiting equanimity to help us deal with them? (coughs) Consider, for instance, the person-to-person confrontations that so often emerge, I have mentioned them before, in the course of our lives. What would it mean to be able to respond to them with equanimity? First and foremost, it would mean to put an end to taking sides. And to do so not out of indifference, but out of love. To see through the habitual self-deception of seeing the world split into dualities. And to be present with the pain that such splitting elicits in us, thus opening the door for healing to proceed. Or consider the confrontations between groups, not just individuals, but groups that often pop up around us. Same story, really. Really? It's true that, understandably, whenever oppressor and oppressed confront each other and we see them do that, we are likely to feel solidarity for the oppressed. But in the end, the only true solution to the problem is to help both sides to overcome the split by cooperating with each other. Let me continue to illustrate the effects of equanimity on the conflicts that pop up in front of us, focusing first on conflicts that originate outside of ourselves. True, there is little we can do about their origination but we surely can help mitigating them, refusing to add fuel to the fire that's already burning, and by stopping our heart from hardening around them. Pema Chodron, quite an extraordinary meditation teacher, discusses this in her book entitled Practicing Peace in Times of War. Let me share a passage with you and I read. War is never going to end as long as our hearts are hardened against each other. What happens is a chain reaction and I'd be surprised if you didn't know what I'm talking about. Something occurs. It can be as small as a mosquito buzzing. And you tighten. If it's more than a mosquito, maybe a mosquito is enough for you, something starts to shut down in you. And the next thing you do you know, sorry. The next thing you know, imperceptibly, the chain reaction of misery begins, and we begin to fan the grievance, grievance with our thoughts. These thoughts become the fuel that ignites a war. War well, could be that you smash the teensy-winsy mosquito. Hmm. But I'm also talking about war within the family, war at the office, war on the street, and also war between nations, war in the world. I should that add this that in this war, as we assign, as we draw, The lines of battle. A part of ourselves gets often assigned to the enemy side. Like when we say to ourselves, why didn't I say this or that to them? How stupid of me. And so our heart hardens to ourselves. What a waste. Now let me talk a little bit about conflicts that originate primarily inside ourselves. The situation with them is not that different from the case of the ones originating outside I've just talked about. Since we really have little control of our inner life. But we have some. I was deeply touched by the following story published in a recent issue of the Shambhala Sun. I'll read some excerpts, excerpts right. When my daughter was four, this is written by Chrissy Posatek, whoever she is, when my daughter was four, she said to me, Mommy, I'm worried. She had tension in her voice and fear in her eyes. Concerned, I asked, Sweetie, what are you worried about? With mounting from tr- fr- frustration, she replied, I don't know. My first instinct as a parent was to get in there and try to fix it, as if I had the power to remove the painful emotion from her. I wanted to tell her that everything was okay, there was nothing to worry about, then make some popcorn, put in a movie, and give her an extra snack. But with my background as wilderness therapy, in wilderness therapy, and now as a parent coach, I knew I needed needed to resist my first impulse. Trying to fix kid, kids' feelings or distract them from their emotion doesn't work. I, it can even create more problems because it encourages kids to look up to us for emotional rescue and disrupts the ability to process the feelings naturally. So I pulled my daughter onto my lap and I said, worry is okay, honey. Worry is a normal emotion, just like being happy, sad, and mad. I get worried too. She didn't seem very (laughs) satisfied with my response. But she did accept it and we moved on. A few days later she said, Mommy, I'm worried again. What are you worried about? I said. Now most frustrated, I don't know. I continued with the same answer where it's okay, is a normal feeling. And I added a few more things this time. I didn't know where this was going. No parent does, but I did know from my Buddhist training that anxiety is a normal feeling and part of being alive in an impermanent world. Emotional health means that we can be with all our emotions without reactivity. This resilience means learning to be with discomfort, frustration, disappointment, worry, sadness, and even boredom. The exciting news is that this learning can be taught. Teaching kids to be with their emotions isn't a quick fix, but it creates the conditions for long-term contentment. So, one day, a few weeks later, we were in the car, and my four-year-old said in sing-song voice, Mom, I'm worried... And I know it's okay. <laughs> I looked back and she was smiling. She seemed brave and triumphant. She had learned to meet her anxiety with acceptance and equanimity. And so, whatever our age, It it can indeed be a challenge to respond with equanimity to the conflicting stuff that so often emerges from inside ourselves. To let ourselves embrace the acceptance of what is without getting stuck in self-judgment. That's what our practice is about. As I said in the instructions earlier this morning, in the course of sitting meditation, we start by focusing on a chosen object, said the breath, in order to prepare ourselves for practicing choiceless awareness in which we open up to the experience of whatever sensation that may come visiting us and then to let it go in its own time. We do so with our physical sensations, breath, etc., and we can do that too with our emotions. By practicing choicelessness with our emotions, we pave a way for equanimity to prevail. What a gift. In sum, I hope to have made very clear that our habitual inclination to take sides, even when taking the the side that we define as the right side, ends up preventing our mind from experiencing the spontaneous unfolding of life and the emergence of equanimity. when we take sides, our mind gets imprisoned. Imprisoned. On the other hand, when equanimity prevails, there is no encouragement for our habitual partisanship. We become fully present with the ingredients of the situation we are in, letting ourselves be touched by whatever pain or joy the situation generates. In other words, instead of reacting automatically to the situation we find ourselves involved in, which tends to to the escalation of the conflicts, those situations harbor, we let ourselves open up to be touched by them in the spirit of equanimity, and we thus contribute to bring pride, to bring bring peace and love to the world, ourselves included.